I'm your host, Dean Kedabosky, and we are about to talk to some yeah. really interesting people. Uh, I think it mainly started Get ready. with the fascination of Thomas the Tank Engine. Ready? I, I'm ready. Are you ready? All right. Let's go. No, this <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, go, go, go. go. Right, I'm good. Talk, right. talk about Thomas the Tank. All right. Well, so, fascinated. Uh, every release, every every sort of small, unknown piece of, of Thomas the Tank Engine cinema and video must be in my house um and then from you're making me regret bringing you on (laughs) (laughs) um no but from there it's sort of developed with just always being fascinated in in transportation and how people move beyond a car um which is why i sort of picked to talk about modern urban landscapes um i know a lot of people think that's the future I, I would hope it to be so. I know, um, well, I know a lot of people look at public transportation as the past, but yeah. tell me otherwise, please, because well, so, it's terrible well, for the environment. Well, uh, well, to understand the future, you have to take a look at the past and, and why transportation is the way that it is. So in early 20th century, railroads became designed, obviously, you know, to move westward expansion. Or, excuse, this is more, this is more um, 19th century, westward expansion, you know. How can we how can we connect territories to eastern United States now? Um, but in terms of of our lives, you know, like suburban lives, uh, city lives, it wasn't designed to travel between cities or around the city. It was designed to take you from into the suburbs where you lived and bring you into where you worked in the city. So there's this priority of how can what's the best way we can get people into our city. Not considering, oh, well, if I want to go from Brookline to Cambridge, but I want to take a train, I got to go all the way in or I got to go around. Or I got to Uber or I got to do this or that. Mm. Um, and at the time, it, it actually it was successful. Like it, it helped expand cities physically. So like city radiuses in the 1850s were, you know, within five miles. And now city radiuses are double, triple the times of that. Right. So I, I think with the expansion of railroads. So what people were doing is you live in suburbs, right? You go in, you work, you shop, and you come back home. But what business owners realized is like, why can't we just bring business to them? So they created these secondary business centers around towns and neighborhoods and suburbs. So like a great example of that is Newton Center. Newton Center is a secondary business center. Why go all the way into Boston for shopping, food, whatever, when we can just bring it to you here? At this point, it feels like that describes most towns pretty well. Yeah. And it's most towns have a shopping district, even the tiny ones. Yeah, I, I live in the town with a population of seventeen thousand, mm-hmm. and there were, well, there used to be. Our town kind of went to shit, but there, <laughs> there used where to be. You're, where are you? Uh, Connecticut, Connecticut. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm Westport, Connecticut. Oh uh, yeah, I'm Wilson. I'm Wilson. Okay, yeah, yeah, literally Connecticut. Westport's nice though. Westport yeah. still has a lot of stuff going on. Wilton kind of died. Well, because <laughs> it's, I think part of that's because we have that Metro North Station there. Right. And yeah. There's so much surrounding that Metro North Station. You know, that that whole, I forget what it's specifically called, but outside the Westport train station, it's, I think it's literally called the station plaza or, or something along those lines. But it's this idea of, oh, you come back from work in the city, you can get food here. You can go shopping here. There's a park there. There's all these stuff that you can do, but it's not the most accessible. You know, it's not the most, like, it, it doesn't make the most sense where that park is to get there. People don't really live near there. People just, like, go to it or, or pass by it. So the point, the original point of the train station was to get you from point A to point B, A being home, B being work, yes. plus city, plus shopping, plus food, plus yes. everything you need. 
So yeah. they're just innovating it. They're making it point A and B, same situation, but A also has food and restaurants yeah. and places to shop. Yes, and this isn't this isn't really anything totally new. This is more of yeah. When did the shift century. So this this urban shift happens early twentieth century, and as a result of a couple things, as a result of World War One, but also with the advancement of technology and, and the assembly line, you get more and more people moving into these urban landscapes and moving from sort of rural life, um, particularly because the opportunities afforded in cities are much better. Um, not only for people who current who at the time lived in the United States, but also for for immigrants uh, coming to the United States in the early 20th century. I mean, we were called the melting pot. Uh, it actually got to point so high that in the early 1920s, um, federal immigration had to had to ban and even limit uh, immigrants coming in uh, through you know Ellis Island. Uh, right. So I think. And they had big bans in general too. I know that was the, yes. That was around the time they had the the ban on Chinese citizens yep. coming and living in America, mm-hmm. Japanese citizens. Well, that was also a lot of racial bias. Yes, but but well, that was a big time for that, right? Yeah, and it's 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 sort of the similar idea, right? As, and not only um, with outside of the U.S. immigrants, but also internally. Uh, during World War One, about fifty thousand black migrants moved into urban landscapes. But in turn, especially in a city like Chicago, white workers felt threatened that they were going to lose their jobs. And so these white workers, instead of, you know, finding new ways to work and live, they brought violence onto the black population. Right. Um, and they would even have things called melees. They would be, you drive, you get in a car, and you go to another racial neighborhood, and you incite violence. Simply, really? Yes. The, especially in Chicago. Chicago, these these melees were essentially just a, a race war solely for the competition of jobs. It's very reminiscent of the Zoot Suit riots. Yes, yeah. and it is it is perpetuated by new urban lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I think with this sort of major shift, there are a lot of things that we didn't really think about. Um, it, it, you know, practically it made some changes that people are like, oh, this is nice. You know, everything is here. There's this glamour. There's these big financial districts. There's these cultural attractions like the Chrysler building, but you know, uh, John C. Tiford puts it in a, in a very good way. He called it, uh, I believe it was the imperfect mosaic or something like that. Because in these cities you had... That's a good quote. <laughs> the imperfect mosaic or something yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, because you had it because that's what it was. You right. had all of these different ethnic backgrounds living right on top of each other, based on neighborhoods or even, you know, in the same streets. But you can't just blend all these cultures, all this history, all this legacy and expect it to perfectly coexist. It, it just doesn't work like that. Right. So it, obviously it leads to this violence, and especially with the increase of cities was also the increase of organized crime. There's so many more people living in cities, it's so much easier to recruit. Al Capone, famous in Chicago, I mean, he murdered seven men in, in broad daylight, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, Right. which is one of the things I looked at. It's like, well, why are cities, why are they always perpetuated to be so much more violent for that kind of reason? Stuff can happen in broad daylight and with the lack of enforcement at the time nothing happened why was there a lack of enforcement a couple things okay primarily from uh incompetency in political leaders um the mayor of chicago at the time of the saint valentine's day massacre believe in in a few trips spent over a million dollars in red light districts um gambling vice vice areas uh, within his own city, and so that spending was spending city money 
on spending yeah spending city money awesome. spending whatever okay, money great. he had yeah. um for his own leisure for his own pleasure solely because he could um that's a that's a major part of it and it just also went unchecked another thing was prohibition prohibition was a way it was a way organized crime could make so much money from from bootlegging and, and moving stuff in and out moving right. alcohol in and out but that in in what i've sort of watched and witnessed those were the two sort of driving factors that really especially uh chicago detroit and philadelphia uh really presented great challenges to to their coexistence right so on your prohibition point i i remember that was even a big thing on the, the federal scale, correct, one hundred percent. The Truman mm-hmm. was president in part um, in time uh, during the Prohibition, and he was notoriously known as a massive drinker. Or not, mm-hmm. sorry, not Truman. Who am I talking about? I'm talking uh, about um, Hoover. Uh, Hoover, yeah, mm-hmm. Hoover. Cool, well, Coolidge was a big drinker too. Yeah, probably every president. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's very ironic. And once again, it's mm-hmm. clearly them catering to a certain type yeah. of voter. It was them catering to. Um, well, there was a bunch of them, but mainly religious people, uh, because mm-hmm. that was a big, it still is, but back then, a, the biggest portion of voters that they needed to get. So catering to specific groups came in, into play, even if they didn't believe in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, precisely. I think you're right. And it's the topic, the, the, the content, you know, what, what politicians like propose especially in those times it was you're right is exactly an appeal to voters right. and we witness it today it's no 100 percent. and it's 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 specifically because they're they're searching for a certain demographic and right. their voters even more and more so today i'd argue i mean yeah. with the now that the tv and uh news media is just massive everywhere mm-hmm. it's so much easier for politicians or political figures just mm-hmm. for figures in general to gain the appeal of a massive audience mm-hmm. simply by saying the right thing we've seen it um especially in the last couple of years i mean trump was a personality mm-hmm. he wasn't just a politician he was someone that everybody looked at as like the biggest man on the planet yeah simply because of the way he acted so um and that's true for every president from the last 20 years it's very easy for people to get caught up in it and say things they don't mean that being said um, it's hard to differentiate at this point what everybody actually yeah. thinks, mm-hmm. you know? So you can't point to specific things and say he was clearly trying to win the favor because maybe he actually believed that versus something totally different. Maybe it just didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah. it's very hard to see now. Uh, and mm-hmm. the same thing was back in the day. Uh, I say back in the day. Like in the, <laughs> in the 1920, the yeah. Prohibition era, mm-hmm. uh, it was just less publicized. Yes. Just massively less so. Definitely. But I, I also think in the same vein with technology, we can now recognize when voices are, are being suppressed and voices aren't 100%. being, yeah, yeah. which another thing that I looked at, um, part of the way in one case in Cleveland was, um, they had this managerial plan. And so this managerial plan was going to remove, um, a lot of the politics because politics were, were very corrupt at that time, very right. money driven, remove it. Um, and corruption and, and sort of just rectify the situation. And it only made it worse and made it a million times worse because the politicians were still calling the shots. In fact, they allocated 60% of jobs to Republicans, about 40% of jobs to Democrats in the city during this plan. Okay. Um, but yet it's in the same vein, they what were... Did the, what did the plan look like? like? It was essentially just a way, like it was the formation of this sort of apolitical body to 
make decisions oh, for the city. Like but, a statistician group type thing. Yes. Yeah. But in so relating this back to voices being suppressed, it removed these ethnic groups and union laborers from the city's elite. So the city's elite had a major influence in this city council. Right. But now all these union workers, you know, these these sort of day laborers and um and these ethnic groups now they no longer had a vote. They no longer had a say. It's very reminiscent of mm. oligarchs. Yeah. And you had very reminiscent. That sounds exactly yes. like what is happening in Russia right now. It's mm. happening in China right now. Mm. Uh, I'm sure it's happening in North Korea. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just the people, the majority who have their opinion are represented by mm. the minority who don't have that opinion because yeah. it's in totally different situations. Um, it's becoming a huge problem in Russia. We're seeing that more and more, and China now too, especially since the beginning of COVID for China. Um, and it's causing riots. It's causing a lot of anger and hostility within the countries, within parties. I mean, we've started to see Putin freak out a lot. Uh, Xi is freaking out a lot right now too yep. as they're trying to solve these issues. Uh, and so I'm not surprised at all America had it at some point. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's, but we didn't, I didn't know about it. Like, Literally, this past week was the first time I learned about that. And I think in today's society, that never never would have happened. I also think we're at a point now where we are beyond any sort of a political body to make major decisions for any city, any town, any anything. I mean, what's the, uh, what's the common factor between the, what you were just describing in China and Russia right now? I mean, the com- it's a small group making decisions for a big group, like you sort of talked about. That, but communication and media. Once again, yeah. it all comes back to this. Yeah. Back then, we didn't have TV. We just had, well, we had radio, but we didn't have TV. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the internet. And think about China and Russia right now. Very, the internet's very censored mm-hmm. in both of those places. The people can't get the information. Yeah. So it's the same type of situation. Mm-hmm. Like you said, that can't really happen today in America yeah. because everybody would know immediately. It's yeah. very obvious when something like yeah. that's happening because you go on Twitter and you talk about how shitty it is mm-hmm. and then everybody retweets it and then everyone knows about it. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't happen in other some other places. And mm-hmm. I mean, clearly we didn't have Twitter back then. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I think that level of communication is definitely uh, obviously all you hear about all the bad things about mainstream media and you know liberal media or right wing media. Um, but in some vein, we are allowing more people to to express themselves, which in itself is a good thing. And I think oh, yeah, it's, it's it's a it's a essential part of democracy, right? That's... I definitely prefer what we have today to nothing. Absolutely, that goes without question mm-hmm. in my mind. Are there blips? Yeah, there are a ton of blips. I mean, I don't know if you listened to you listened to Jackson's episode last time, right? Yes, I did. We yeah. talked very briefly about this um, and about how we don't listen to CNN or Fox. <laughs> we, we just kind of like try to find the middle ground sources because that's all you can do. That being said, it's what's happening. I personally. Yeah. And I can vouch for a lot of other people. Get yeah. my news from TikTok or other social media no, sources no, that's instead not, of actual <laughs> news stations. That's totally legitimate. That's totally the independent creators are I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm overkilling this, but independent creators are saviors. They're the ones that put out they, they can take the time to research without bias. They're not getting paid by anybody to say anything. They're the ones that can give you the best information. Independent sources mm-hmm. like Joe Rogan. Yeah. I mean, he comes in. He says a lot of stuff that we don't agree with yeah. and that we frankly think go is worse. Go sometimes. get vaccinated. Go get vaccinated. Yeah, get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. <laughs> uh, he says a lot of crap and shit, but everybody does. Yeah. The point is he's not being paid to say it. You know that's what he believes. Yeah. Um, same goes for TikTok, like you said. 
TikTok creators are honestly probably at points a little bit better than Joe Rogan because yeah. um, they, uh, they're not getting paid to say yeah. anything. They're just saying their belief and they care enough about it that they're willing to put the time and effort mm-hmm. into making a video to put online. Yeah. Um, so, no, you're right. You're totally right, mm-hmm. Will. No, you're totally right. Yeah, look at that smile. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and I, I think it's a great example of how, how policy has shaped our country, especially in, in these modern urban landscapes. Right. We talk about policies for certain races, policies on on immigration, and it dictates, you know, it has a generational effect. Right. Right. Uh, There. I mean, I'm also taking a a public health class this semester and we've talked. Tell me about that. So we've talked we've talked a lot about how can your social determinants of health determine your physical well-being. And one of these things is. For example, in black people, levels of cortisol are a lot higher because of microaggressions, because of racial interactions, racist interactions, and it's taking years off their lives. So exposure to stress over prolonged periods of time breaks down your body. And so having these experiences where they're in a stage of fight or flight because of fear, because they're being racially attacked, it's affecting their life and their well-being. The same can be said uh, in a little bit of a different vein but your zip code can determine how long you live. Um, one documentary took a look at um, area codes in Louisville, Kentucky, and the highest, uh, a nice suburb of northeastern Louisville versus someone who lived in the heart of Louisville was about a 10-year difference in life expectancy. Really? Yes. Okay. Uh, for a variety of reasons, for, um, you know, access to food, access to medical insurance, who, what was their coverage, what was their housing like, you know, all of these different factors. What was their education like? Um, so I think that that's a very big thing that we don't focus about. We don't focus a lot about because it's not very prevalent. And it's, I also think one thing that that class doesn't talk enough about is, is how hard it is to measure those things. You can go out and say, oh, well, racial interactions and racist interactions are, are taking lives off of, or taking years off of lives of minorities. And people be like, oh, well, there's no concrete evidence on that. Or like, oh yeah, it might've increased stress, but like, eh, the connections aren't there, so I don't really care. And I think that's very hard for people to, to get past. And I think understanding that it is a real problem is, is more of an issue or almost as hard of an issue to demonstrate than demonstrating the problem itself. Right. Which in, in making people almost believe or have to change, change their belief system or, or buy into be more accepting of what's being presented to them is equally as important. Are you talking about reactions to these cases as well in class? Yes. Okay. Like the sociology behind it, not just the so, Somewhat. Not, not as much. I think the farthest we're going in sociology is saying like, you know, this percent of med students believed this about or believe these myths about uh, certain races. Um, for like, we took a look at um, maternal mortality rates and how it really impacts the black community, um, okay. because there's a lot of these myths about. Oh pain- wow! Oh wow! No, Will's got it pulled up right now. Yeah, no, keep yeah. going, Timmy. Keep going. Yeah. So as you can see, there's a pretty unbelievable discrepancy in there. Yeah. Um, Is that at all related to? Um, biases within the medical field as well. I know that was yes. a big problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, being, It's probably still a huge problem, mm-hmm. but it was being reported, especially a couple of years ago. Yes. That it was since the profession is dominated by white doctors. Yes, that's a huge problem. Is a part right. of, is because, and also in medical textbooks, we, we had a chance to look at it. A lot of these, this is a little bit unrelated to maternal mortality rates, but a lot of 
disease. So like, let's say you got some some infection. It shows up on your skin. It shows up as red bumps on your skin. On white skin, it's it's night and day. You could tell, oh, this person has this. But on on black skin or on different types of skin colors, it can be almost impossible to to see that someone has a rash, someone has bumps, someone has an infection, mm. and that can really that can really mess a person up. That can cost a person their life. Right. And it's solely because doctors aren't being taught how to look at different types of skin. Okay. So I think stuff like that in education is something that needs to be brought aware to, which it is. And it's, they're, I, they are making changes. This isn't something that is that I'm trying to be the first person to bring bring up about. It, it has been addressed, and there are people who are working towards that. Um, but going back to those maternal mortality rates, uh, it also did not care about your socioeconomic status. Mm. Regardless uh, of where you fell in that sense, uh, as a black woman, the chance of uh, maternity mortality rates are just significantly higher. And that is like we've talked about. It's about perception. It's you know, at every income level. Yes. Okay. So it is. And one of the interviews that we had a chance to look at, uh, this woman was recounting one of her experiences, and she says, "When I walk into that hospital, there's nothing that that shows you know how much money I make or where I'm from. Everything is up to the discretion of the staff there." Does this go back to zip code a little bit, though? Is there any kind of difference between where the hospital is located, maybe, or um, what area of the, the state it is? To be completely honest with you, I, I'm not sure. But the documentary, they, the interesting thing was that they all worked at the same hospital. Okay. So the guy who the guy who lived in that nice suburb was the CEO of the hospital. Okay. Um, and then I I don't think the the woman in the lowest uh, zip code was related f- too closely with the hospital, but another man in a black community was one of the janitors. Another black woman was, um, she was the head of some big department there. I can't remember what exactly it was. I think it might've had to do with their, their pharmaceuticals, but that's not really too, too, too relevant. But yeah, this idea of where you live can determine how long you live is shocking to a lot of people. Now, were these these zip code discrepancies? That's I guess that's mm-hmm. a good thing to call them. Yeah, uh, were these made more obvious or bigger due to transportation changing and shifting, like putting more shopping districts and stuff like that in smaller areas as opposed to the big areas? Did um, that make a difference? I don't know how much that made a difference, but what really made a difference was policy. Okay, uh, redlining policy was the one of the driving factors right. behind the difference in in life um, and the difference in in where you live. So like, for example, policymakers in Louisville, Kentucky, which is, has been a red line city, designate certain minorities to live in this area solely because of mortgage rates. And so yeah. it's terrible housing, it's terrible living conditions. Uh, there's even been studies about temperatures in cities now. Inner cities can be up to six degrees hotter than um, suburbs just minutes away. You know, I actually, I took a class last semester mm-hmm. called climate change. Yep. Um, well, it was global implications of climate change. Mm-hmm. And for one of the labs, we went to a couple of different areas near us, mm-hmm. um, including Austin and Brookline. Yep. And we talked about that. We talked about how mm-hmm. the presence of foliage and essentially yep, green, green life, green space, is all the difference maker. So we went to... I can't remember which what the towns we went to were. Mm-hmm. They were all in the area. But we went to one which has a, a lower economic status. We went to that one, and we literally just – the whole goal was – we didn't know what the whole goal was until yeah. we got there. She mm-hmm. was like, look around you. What do you see? 
and none of us knew what to look for. And she said, where are the trees? Yeah. And um, we sh- her whole point was that there is some, but it's in very specific areas. It's not spread around. Yeah. They, the whole reason being green life is very hard to upkeep. Yes. It's very expensive. It's very tough to upkeep. And um, then we went to the other one, and you noticed that there were trees – well, first off, everywhere. But more importantly, they were built into the community. They were in people's front yards. They yeah. were along the street yeah. lines. They were. They looked great. <laughs> Everything was beautiful. And reason being, same thing. It you have the money. You have the money to upkeep it. And um, like you said, that has a huge impact on temperature mm-hmm. because trees are a huge um, carbon suck. Yep, they suck up a lot of carbon, release oxygen, and that also has an effect on lowering temperature because mm-hmm. of albedo. Yep. Um, so I'm coming. I'm coming over there. Uh, <laughs> no, I. I um, yeah, yeah, because of albedo. So uh, I guess I'll say what albedo is real quick. Yo, Will, put the camera on me. I need my face up right now. No, you good. You good. I need my face up. Ready? Albedo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so albedo is. So I don't remember if it's higher or lower, but um, albedo is essentially the the color. Everyone knows that black absorbs heat yep. a lot better. Mm-hmm. White reflects it a lot better. Yep. So albedo in l- low-income neighborhoods, since there's less green life, there's less foliage, It's there's a fuck ton of concrete, yep. uh, absorbs a lot of heat. So it warms it up, like you said, up to six degrees hotter, depending on the area. Yeah. Versus you get a higher-income place with a lot more trees because they can pay for the upkeep. Yep. And you'll have a much lower albedo. Mm-hmm. And that albedo so will reflect the heat much better, resulting in a, a cooler mm-hmm. environment. And this is very prevalent in cities, like you said. Yep. For example, New York City is, generally speaking, it depends on where you are in New York City. It really does. Because if you go to a place like Staten Island, there's no trees. Yeah. There's no trees. It's literally just concrete everywhere. It's very hot there. If you go to the center of Manhattan, right next to um, Central Park, then it's a much cooler temperature. Yeah. Even though you're not really changing your relationship to the water line, the coastline, you're not changing anything other than the fact yep. that there's a lot of trees. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. That's all it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very interesting. I didn't think about this at all until yeah. it was pointed out to me because it's a hard connection to draw unless yeah. you're pointed to it. But I didn't realize how significant small things in my mind, like locations of trees, can be uh, based on economic status of an area and then, mm-hmm. like you said, yeah. reflecting on um, the environmental impacts too. Yeah, I I really think in understanding those those connections between, you know, redlining between the environment and then between transportation, understanding those mixtures is really important to understanding what changes need to be made. Right. And so I think that for me has been super interesting to learn about because it's relevant. A big step, and we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. A big step I think is to change our public transit system yes um we were talking about china a little bit earlier with our bullet trains we were mm-hmm. talking about how japan has similar things uh and for a variety of reasons that i want to get into yeah. uh but the main fact of the matter that you pointed out is that america's transit system is 100 years old yeah and has not been changed mm-hmm. well, it, the design is is like i've said a to b city to suburb um and then mm-hmm. what we have designed what we have designed intracity is a workaround. Like the New York City subway system is is awful. Right. It's you know. I mean, it was funny thing clearly, about that. Yeah, go uh, ahead. New York City has the best transit system in the United States, and the United States in general is ranked twelfth globally 
on public transit. No, it is. It's it hilarious. Is, despite having I absolute think the biggest dog GDP. shit. It's, <laughs> it's terrible. No, uh, it's I, I 30 think, years old. Every yeah. train car is 30 years old. It hasn't been updated. The thing is, if you look at those lists, and I'm sure they don't do bar charts, it's probably just a list, but if you look at them, you will see that there are some countries like China and Japan mm-hmm. who are miles ahead of yeah. everybody else, and then there's just a big fucking clump. Yeah. So, yeah, you got... Oh, is this the list right here? Yeah, give me a second. Okay, no problem. Um, I don't know if you can see it, but Germany, Japan, Sweden, Netherlands, Austria, Singapore. Yep, mm-hmm. a lot of the Eurasian countries. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you got the Emirates in there too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hong Kong, I forgot. Hong Kong is probably one of the best, um, uh, one of the best systems yeah. because they had to cater to that population mm-hmm. to make it work. Plus, Hong Kong, it's not, it's pretty new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Their whole business district yeah. built up in the last 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. So everything's very new. And plus, they're just very innovative there. Um, I know things are kind of changing now. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I don't see them changing much because the rest of China is in a good position too. Yeah. Well, I think for us, it's it's almost like a where do you begin, right? Because you have so you've you've had this designed institution for so long, and it like it works, like it it practically works, but it could be so much better. Right. And I think that's the part where it's it's hard to get people involved, right? Because oh well, you know it works already. I can get to here, here, here. I just got to count for time. But if we optimize and we can make it so much better, imagine what else we could do. Um, that being said though, I think the way, and we were sort of talking about this earlier, the way that the change occurs and the way that stuff becomes powered, you know, what, what kind of fuel sources they're using. What kind of energy we use. Yep. If, if we find a way to revamp our intra and intercity transportation and it is fueled by oil, it'll happen. Right. It could happen. If it's fueled by some renewable energy, some solar power, some even some wind power or hydropower, it won't happen. Right. It will not happen. I, I think yeah. the oil companies, they will lose way too much. There's no way they will ever sign off on a massive intra-United States train system if it's not powered by oil. The main problem is that their case is very strong. Yes. Oil, clearly, we've been using it for 150 years at this point in this country, and it's very effective. We have no reason to believe that anything should change, except that obviously there's the big renewable push right now. Um, But that's not – it's very deceiving. It's very deceiving. What we're running on right now, everyone's looking at things like – Tesla and electric yeah. cars and stuff like that. That's kind of the pinpoint for what we view as the future right now. The issue being, and Will pointed this out to me, mm-hmm. I had no idea until I gave you that climate interview a couple months ago. Remember that? Yeah. Um, uh, electric vehicles are nowhere near as good for the oh environment goodness, as we think no. they're. They're terrible. Mm. Now, obviously, once you get them on the road, they are better than diesel cars, yeah. obviously. But the, and I was just reading about this this afternoon, the building, building the cars is incredibly resource, like you need very rare resources to build these cars. Metals that are terrible to mine out in China. Uh, I was reading about specific, the way they mine lithium in China is they dig up an eight by 10 hole. They dump acid in the hole to get all the, the mud and dirt away. They pull out the lithium and then they put the dirt back in the ground with the acid in it. Yeah. That's how they mine. Well, and that's 
one of the more ethical ways to do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you yes, wanna, it is. <laughs> I mean, like, that is nothing compared to children working in cobalt mines. No, nothing for, like for, yeah. for Elon Musk. So, um, but I, I think, yeah, the way that it's powered is going to be the the driving factor in terms of how much change we see in our transportation. And I think honestly, that, yeah, go ahead. Jump right. in, yeah. I think one of the biggest parts of it is that regardless of if it's we're moving to an electronic uh, transportation system, fossil fuels still account for 60% of the electric energy that the world uses. Well, to yeah. be fair, that is going down rapidly. Um, that is the, the, the shining light at the end of the tunnel right here. Um, as time goes on, renewable energy, green sources become v- much cheaper than they yeah. used to be. 20 years ago, a wind turbine was... Well, okay, it's 90% cheaper now than it was 20 years ago. 90%. It's ridiculously cheaper. And they're coming up with new ways to do it, too, to make it more space efficient as well. Um, I know hydroelectric is getting much better now. There are things like solar power, which need work. They need new batteries. That's what they need. We were talking about this. Uh, The lithium batteries, they don't work as well as people were hoping they would. What they really need need to use is the the hydrogen fuel cells. They really need to figure that out. Obviously, that's in the future, so there's no point in crying over that right now. But what they really need to figure out is how to continue to make them cheaper to the point that they become the better option. Yeah, That's years away. When that happens, I think that it will be much easier to get this new transit system up and running. The The intra- and intercity systems will be much more efficient. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll kind of have to revamp them yeah. at that point. At, there's a certain point... You're right. Right now, oil's got a grip on us. Yeah. There's nothing we can do about that. But there will reach a certain point where the benefits become so painfully obvious, the government has no choice. Yeah. Uh, that is years in the future. I don't see that happening for another 30 or 40 years. Yeah. I Hopefully I would, in our lifetimes. I yeah. I honestly, like, got to start walking everywhere at this point. No, honestly. I mean, well, <laughs> you like fucking Sweden well, with the bikes. Yeah, well, and I've thought They about bike it. everywhere. Like, well, it's great. I, I think of this example like like college campuses, right? And just, like... Viewing society as that, as like everything you need is walkable, or, or there's some level of transportation available. But yeah, I, I do. I when, when I'm back, I will enjoy walking. Oh yeah. I'm not fully, oh my gosh. Not fully back yet. How long is your um, meniscus, right? Yeah. How so, long has it been out? So I, I think it was partially torn this summer. Okay. And so I started with a partial tear, um, and about the first weekend of November, I went down in a squat, and I, I just felt it go. Yeah. Uh, so at that point, it was fully torn. And I didn't know that until December 29th. So I was walking around in a torn meniscus for about two months. Really? Yeah. Which was. Wow. Okay. Yeah, which was bad for about the first week. But after that, I got used to your it. Your body sort of gets stronger around it and you figure it out. Um, right. But then I got surgery on January 3rd. Did that walking around hurt the healing process? I don't know. I mean, because it was just torn fully right but it's right. the meniscus is just padding so it's not oh like, yeah, yeah so it's not like it's one of your you know acl mcl pcl LCL. it's just not fun that's all no it was yeah. not it was not <laughs> it was not very fun at all um but um it, i got used to it after a while and i could i was almost i could have lived a normal life without it no i know there are people that do yeah there was some there's some runner one of the most famous runners yeah. i cannot remember his name he's just been in a million interviews yeah he doesn't have any cartilage between his knees. 
Yeah, it's not like he just runs with the pain every day. Ugh. And his whole his whole thing, he's made a whole career out of this. Yeah. His whole thing is just run through the pain. That's it. That's his whole thing. Is there any point in my mind to that? No, no not really. You could just go get oh your meniscus God. fixed or stop yeah. running. But uh, that's his whole mindset there. He's made a whole career out of it. Yeah. Well, and he I runs commend, super marathon. I commend that. him for that, but I don't I don't think that's I'm, a yeah, smart I'm idea. Good. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I got surgery the third. Um Four weeks of crutches, no weight bearing. Um, after that, it was one crutch for about a week, and now I'm walking again. Yeah. Um, it still hurts sometimes. It's still sore. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's it's not anything that's unbearable, and it's getting to a point now where I'm starting to feel comfortable again doing stuff, which is which is what matters. When are you going to get back into the gym, like, for real? Well, for real is May, I think. Maybe late April, but okay. I'm not pushing it because – Every time you hear about it, it's like, oh, well, I'm starting to feel good again, and uh, I retort. I yep. retort. And that's because, peop- you know, your body, it starts to feel better faster than it is actually repairing. So, like, my knee, like, sitting here, it feels fine. Like, I feel like I could get up and do anything I normally do. Um, but if I were to go, you know, walk on a treadmill for 30 minutes, I'd get off after, and I would be sore and limping. Right. Um, or, you know, if I was like, oh, I feel good enough to squat today, and I went to squat, it would be terrible. Yeah, so no, you're right about that. It's 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 a part of reminding yourself that it's a slow process that I think has made it pretty challenging. Yeah, um, a lot of athletes go through that. A lot of athletes. That's why reaggravation is so pop, so yeah, common. They just want to get they, back out yeah, there. No, it's, I get it. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting paid, especially the big athletes, like that's, that's your job, man. No, Someone's going yeah, to take your you're job. Paid to do it. Mm-hmm. Somebody's gunning for it. Yeah, always. Someone's always gunning for your job. Yeah. There's rare cases, rare individuals. You have that to can, be that good. Yeah, you have to be that good. Um, like Gronk, for example. Yeah. That dude's a fucking beast. <coughs> yeah. And, and he literally, got, he's got his job. No, literally. He literally played with a cast for like two years in his career simply because he's that good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not a good idea. I can tell you that. Yeah. I understand the whole your body heals slower than it feels. Yeah. And that's probably the main reason, honestly. I'm fine. I'm fine. Put me in, coach. Put me. I'm fine. You're not fine, and that's a big part of, of listening to yourself. No. Um, which which I which I'm glad I've learned to do, I'm, and I think that's something I'm really going to take away with it. Right. Is because, well, like I said, there you go, Gronky cast. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, I had a so I had a partial tear of okay. my meniscus. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'll take time off and I'll work my way back up, which I did, but I never really listened to myself, and that was what the problem ended up being. Okay. So, um, I know this is drastically different from mass transportation no, and all the <laughs> listeners, but uh, it's quite an interesting shift. And you know, walking is good for the environment. So no, I walking mean, is definitely good for um, the environment. If everybody walked, we wouldn't be worried about the scientists saying, "God, we all fucked ourselves already." We yeah. can't save ourselves. Um, but yeah, no, I'm in terms of of walking and getting back into lifting. It's it's such a it's such a rewarding feeling because those first two weeks when I was just sitting on my couch doing nothing, oh my God, it was awful. Yeah. It was awful. I was After living, the surgery? I was living the same day over and over again. Right. I would wake up, I'd go downstairs, I'd watch TV, sun would go down, I'd come back upstairs and go to bed. You talked earlier about how the um, the mental aspect can hurt your physical aspect. It's just as relevant in the opposite direction. Yeah. It's so relevant. I was actually saying in class the other day, actually, about mm-hmm. how I hate repetition. And the fact that I go to class every day, do my homework, go to bed, is just fucking my life over i feel my brain hurts it Mm. just it's so painful um so it works in exactly the same way 
Um, it, it's kind of funny how the, yeah. the body-brain connection works mm-hmm. uh, because at times they can be so fucking different. You can be thinking one thing and not being able to do it, but at the same time, they're working in complete tandem. It's yeah. really interesting. Um, I, I think for me, understanding you know, what, what matters to me um, in terms of like, you know, getting better. Like what, what matters to me? Not tomorrow. What matters in six months from now? Am I going to be healthy in six months? Well, if I do the things right now, if I do what my doctor tells me to do right now, I will, will I be better than six months? Yes. So you got to do them. I think understanding it's not immediate is a big part of what helped me sort of get through this, this process. A lot of young people have a problem with thinking about the future. Yeah. I say problem very loosely. It's more of a, they just can't see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. You, you clearly don't have that problem in the way that you just said that. Yeah, it's been, it's been, you have to constantly remind yourself of it though, because if you don't, you are going to spiral. And because at times it felt like that I was doing that. Like there'd be times I'd go to bed, I'm like, why did I do this to myself? Like I should have just listened to myself. I should have just stopped. I should have done this or that can't you can't do anything about that and that's been a big part for me as well is understanding that i can't go back and do anything about it um and also realizing that it's a long process but as it is a process that what ends with the reward and hindsight and the decision making process they go hand in hand yes Uh, you can't understand the benefit of hindsight until you've had enough time to actually deal with it Mm -hmm. and obviously as kids we didn't have to deal with it everything we did could kind of just get swept under the rug Mm -hmm. uh we're getting to that point where that's not the case. Yeah. If you mess up, you messed up. You can't just go home to mom. It's you you to accept yeah. it. And that's also the same reason that mindset at, in kids and teens of whatever I do doesn't matter. My future won't be affected. That's the reason that a lot of kids make bad decisions. That's why, frankly, that's why I think the vaping ec- epidemic is such a big thing. Yeah. Drug epidemic is such a big thing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, oh, first off, we always go back to the internet, but the internet is a big factor in that. Mm -hmm. Seeing other kids, other people your age do shit online makes you want to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Same goes for, oh, I don't fucking know, eating. Like like you see the food online all the fucking time, all of a sudden all you want to do is eat. Um, And Will was just pointing out a second ago, um, like obesity is a big thing in America now. I think mainly because... um, those mindsets are ingrained in kids when they're too young to understand the, the bad parts, the negative aspects of eating of eating badly. Like eating healthy, this goes into gym talk too. Eating healthy is a hard thing to do. It's really hard to convince yourself how important it is that you just need to stick a carrot in your mouth instead of a piece of cake. Um, and yeah, look up a list real quick. Uh, in America, I know it's a big problem. I know that it's bigger in other places, uh, but it's a mm. massive problem here. Yeah, all right, we're number 12 on the list. 36% of the adult population is obese. And I think that comes almost entirely from habits you developed as a kid. Yes, Um, and whether that is perpetuated by your background or by your individual choice is different, but it is, at the end of the day, it is down to some sort of level of choice. Right. At the end of of the day, one of the people in this room would be obese. Yeah. 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 Well. Uh, Fortunately. uh, This is is me. Oh, wait, we got a picture? Yeah. I don't know if you can you can pull yeah. that up or get that. Can we? Here, uh, you pull up the camera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that is me in December of 2019. Um, I think I was about 215 pounds in that picture. Um, I think my body fat was probably north of 30 something percent. Um, 
I wasn't unhappy with myself, mm-hmm. but I knew that I wasn't like ideal in a way. Like right. it, like my situation was not ideal. Like no one wants to be that big. And obviously like there's things around it, you know, like, oh, you know, I got to play line in football or oh, you know, I got to be considered one of the bigger bodies or whatnot. And like that's whatever. But no matter what I what I witnessed or, or what I saw, the change didn't happen until I made that decision within myself to start to get better. And I think that is a crucial part that people need to recognize because I would lift you know, when I was that size, I would lift, I would, you know, I, 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 I was active. I played a bunch of different sports growing up, but I, I didn't really have this focus on changing myself for the better. I just did it because I, I, you know, I enjoyed it or, you know, you know, seems cool or seems fun and which it was. But in April of like 2020, I was sitting in my room and I was like, I just need to do something. So I, I got up. I put my I put my shoes on, put my sneakers on. I just got outside and I just started, just went for a run, two miles. Boom! It, dude, it was it was painful. It like, all starts somewhere. It yeah. was, it, dude. It was hard. It was hot. Um, there was a lot of struggle, but I just kept going. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand: is pushing through. That is what is going to make you better, right? I started, so I started doing that in April of 2020, and about June of 2020, I had lost about 20 pounds just from running yeah then i started to get into the gym and i started lifting i dropped another 20 pounds and then so this is about october of 2020 october 2020 i'm down on like 174 solely because i was like i am committed to making myself a better person physically right and i think understanding that within myself was what made that change like you can sit here and say like oh you know you need to be in this you need to you need to be in this body fat you need to do this if you want to work out you have to do this or, you know, get up, go to the gym. This is your motivation. None of that matters unless you find it within yourself. Right. And that has been the biggest determinant for me. That has been the biggest catalyst for me. It's really hard seeing people, um, like Will said on TikTok <laughs> and mm-hmm. just social media in general, seeing people being that fit, that athletic. And they always start with, here are three simple tricks. Yeah. Here are three simple tips to get to where I am. Uh, the most popular one right now is Liver King. Yeah, you hear this guy online saying, "All you have to do to have the thirteen pack I have and be as fit as I am is follow the ancestral is, tenets." Yes, literally, is eat liver, eat raw yeah. liver, <laughs> shit and, like that. It's yeah. so hard to differentiate what's total horseshit and then what's actually people saying, "This yeah. is what I did." Here's my story. My favorite person I follow on Instagram. This dude who started his weight loss journey, uh, he was 600 pounds when he started. He's down to like 200 now. Mm-hmm. And that's my favorite thing to follow because all he does is post videos of him working out exactly what he mm-hmm. does every day. He tells you all the, what he eats. He tells you uh, what activities he did, mm-hmm. what different workouts he was doing. And that's all he did. He didn't do, hit you with the, here are the three simple tips I followed. Yep. Because that doesn't fucking exist. Yes. And that's terrible mm-hmm. on kids' mindsets. It's the same thing we were talking about a second ago with obesity. Yeah. The same um, influences that you are had on you as a kid are the things that you take into your adult life. So that's why I'm worried, frankly, for our generation growing up because we're going to grow up with the the thought process that all it takes is these three simple tips and you'll accomplish all your hopes and dreams. That The idea of hard work and longevity, mm-hmm. and most importantly, patience, 
does not yeah. exist for yeah. us. And that's which is a problem. That's, that's a huge I, problem. That's how I got here. Right. I didn't do this. Like this is this is what this is mid February of 2023. Yeah. And this started in April of 2020. Like I, I like I said, I was and three fit, years I, I isn't even before. a long time. No. Like as patient goes, patience goes. That's not a yeah. long. It feels like fucking if, forever. Yeah, it feels like lifting has been a part of my life for a long time. Right. But in reality, I look back and you know I look at my phone sometimes and I see pictures from just about three years ago and I'm like I can't believe that it was so recently. You right. Know, I think, and going back to what you said, I can't imagine what my old self would think if I looked at some video or some clip and it said, do these things and you'll get to hear. Right. Because I probably would have tried them, probably would have done them. Would have gotten impatient, would have given just, up. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's really hard to see like that stuff be perpetuated um, and, and know that you know, people are going to look at this Nazi chain and you know, it's like, it's like a, it's a thing, you know, fad diets and get fit quick schemes, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but I think that's a major part of, of why people feel inadequate is because it's like, well, this should work. Why isn't it working for me? And they fall into this sort of like pit of, well, it's, I'm, I must, it just not, I'm just not supposed to be fit. I'm just not supposed to be healthy. And I think that even a part of that still exists within me today. Yeah. There are times when I look in the mirror and all I see is that picture that I showed you guys. Right. Right. And like, I know that's not true, but just because of, of my past and what I've had to go through, you can't help but remember it. Right. And like, I'm, I'm sure people look at me like, oh yeah, he looks like a strong guy, but man, there's times when like, I feel like I'm, I'm just that chubby kid again, but that's why I've now since set it as my lock screen, because I want to wake up every day and I want to remember that. It is a consistent journey and do not compare myself to others, but to compare myself to what I have come from. And I think that is really important for the health of people is to not compare yourself to other people who are on these fad diets, to these people who are taking God knows what steroids, but to compare yourself to who you were yesterday, to who you were a week ago, to who you were a year ago. And that has made the biggest change in my life. We had kind of opposite journeys. Um, all throughout high school, high school, I was a big runner. Uh, and like probably at the beginning of COVID right around sophomore year, end of sophomore year, I was borderline anorexic at that point. Mm -hmm. I weighed like 120 mm -hmm. as a five, nine <laughs> kid. Yeah. I was very, very underweight. Um, and at some point for me, it became more about respect. I didn't get the respect I wanted because I was a tiny kid and I'm not a big guy now. I'm manageable. I'm like 143 now, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it was more, it was mostly about respect for me. It was about the, uh, everybody kind of treated me as a little brother. I didn't want that anymore. Yeah. I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be essentially like the big brother at some point. When I was yeah. a freshman, I had my senior that was like my boy. Yeah. His name was John, John Kennedy. And he was jacked out of his fucking mind. He's like a CrossFit guy yeah. now. Uh, and I wanted to be exactly like him. And I just, in my mind, that was never going to happen. There was no way I was ever going to yeah. get to that because it was such a big, are you looking me up on the internet right now? <laughs> I am looking you up okay, on the internet. Okay. Yeah. You'll find some that's, baby pictures. That's exactly how, how I felt like it's. <laughs> don't, don't fucking put my TikTok up there, bitch. <laughs> it's <laughs> the button. this idea. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is not. I real. came all this way and still I get no respect. This is not <laughs> real. Shout out, shout out, King School. I've actually, I've actually been down to the King School a couple have times. You? I have played baseball at the King School. You know, I filmed my TikTok, the first twenty-one episodes of it, at King School, um, and they did me good. They did me good. That's glad. Uh, amen I'm for glad. that. Yeah. Um, no, but it was a respect thing for me. Yeah. It was I wanted to be like this guy. I didn't think I'd ever get there. And then at some point, I was like, "Fuck the whole an- like being anorexic thing." Yeah. <laughs> can we start like gaining some? I still can't gain any fucking weight. Will neither of us can. Fuck. We just have to eat more. We just have to yeah. eat more, right? Well, I think I'm. I think I'm sitting here at around 195 today. Are you happy? And that's only. Am I happy with that? Are I you mean, happy? I think so. And I think like. Because I, I bulked this past fall because okay. I wanted to see how much I could gain. I think it was up around like 210. And I was I was the strongest I've been, and I, I still looked pretty solid. Right. But now I, I then, you know, got injured in turn, and it was just messy. So now I'm really starting to get – see, like, what do I look my best at? What do I feel my best at? And right. I feel like I'm, I'm over I'm over a bit what I feel my best at. So hopefully cutting down a little bit once I'm more operational. Right. I think that's the goal, but – do you think you'd be happy sitting at one weight where you feel like where you look and feel like you're at your ideal point? I know a lot yes. of people. Okay. I know a lot of people would are just not happy with being at a certain, they want the change. That's yeah. why they do it. They want the change. One of my buddies back home, he looked fucking great at 150. So naturally he decided I'm going to go up to 170. So yeah. <laughs> he got the 170. He looked great again. And he was like, mm, no, I'm going to go back down. So he went back down. Yeah. I know some people just crave the change. That's why they do it. Yeah. Personally, I want to get to a point where I'm happy and just stay there. Yeah. I, I, well, I think for me, it's like, it's just more interesting I feel like, and also a bit more motivating when you change what your goals are, right? Like if I, like right now I'm really trying to cut down sort of slowly, but cut down. And I think that's nice. It's something where I'm like, all right, I'm going to eat this way. going to, going to live this way. going to lift this way uh, to get to that point. And then changing it. Oh, well now I want to gain weight. I have a new set of things that I do, a new change in my routine, which is very motivating. So I think that's also part of it, but I also wouldn't mind floating around a number fluctuating within a certain range i think i could i could do that i know some people fluctuate naturally um uh, my best friends from back home they're twins um they fluctuate between well one of them fluctuates between he's average is 165 it goes up to 170 and down to 160 within the week and then it just, like, yeah. like it just fluctuates. My weight never changes. Yeah. <laughs> it either goes up for like a steady amount or it goes down yeah. for a steady mine, amount. Mine usually, mine usually changes throughout. Like it, everyone's weight changes throughout the course of the day. Right. But I think mine definitely, it, it can change. Like I can gain weight pretty, pretty easily. And obviously anyone listening is like, oh, like that's nothing to complain about. But like when I showed you, when I had that picture, it was like. Well, no, no. Anything. A lot of people do complain about that. It's, well, it's I think, crazy it, how it, everyone's yeah, bodies in, work differently. It, I think in the lifting world, it's a lot of like, oh, I wish I could just gain weight, right? right. But and then, it's it's not as simple as that. I think a lot of people um, create like they wish, you know, the, the grass is always greener. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think everybody just wants what they don't have. Yeah, yep. that's it. Yep. <laughs> um, and I think the lift like. Being able to gain weight so quickly was was so discouraging for me at first, and I think that's why. And I'm sure for you, not being able to gain weight very so quickly yeah. was very discouraging as well. But I think that you know, pushing through that is something that's really admirable in a person. I think anyone who has those kind of feelings should 
really push through that right. and really motivate yourself to see that change. Because if you do it, you can. I mean, like I did it. Like look at like look at that picture and like look at me now. Like I did it. And so if I can do it, you can push through it too. And I think that's the important piece of, of fitness and changing your life. Right. No, you're completely right. Everybody's got different goals. Well, you put mm -hmm. it perfectly. What'd you say? Say it again. Everybody wants what they don't have. There it yep. is, baby girl. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, honestly, everybody wants what they don't have. I, you're right. I wish that I was in your situation and could gain a lot of weight mm -hmm. really fast. I'm sure you're in the opposite situation where you wish you could lose weight really fast. It's And everybody is somewhere yeah. in between. Um, that being said, I think, I think you're spot on with the fact that it's a good thing that we can't have what we want. Yeah. Because if everybody got what they wanted... Everyone would look the same. Yeah, actually, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, everybody would look the same. No one would have goals, right? People, that's a that's an interesting point to bring up, actually. Have you seen, this is totally random, but have you seen The Good Place? No. Okay, one of my favorite TV shows of all time. The point of one of the last episodes, they're in heaven, right? Yeah. And everyone can have whatever they want with a snap of their fingers, which means everyone's depressed and everyone's sitting at home alone. No one wants to see anybody because what's the point of life if there's no challenge, Right. So that was the, they were addressing that whole thing, and it came to the conclusion that the solution was that everybody should have the opportunity to face a little adversity. Mm -hmm. And once you, can, once you can achieve that, then all of a sudden everybody has their motivation again. They have their yeah. motivation to keep moving and do their thing. If everybody could get exactly what they wanted, what's the point? That, yeah. was, that was the point of that. Um, I guess, well, my question for you is what would you choose? If I could, if you could what? Snap, if you could snap your finger and get whatever you want. Probably Disneyland in my backyard. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Honestly. It's um, a very valid point, though. Like, if it didn't take me six months to gain five pounds, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be working as hard as I am in the gym. Yeah. That's so fair. No, yeah. I mean, I'm the same way. You know I was sick all of last semester. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. almost died. It's funny now. Times. I almost died really? many times. Yeah, no, his spleen really almost bursted during a Latin dance performance. Yes, yes, that was funny. <laughs> I couldn't do the grinding part because they were worried my <laughs> spleen was going to explode. We were we were fucking doing the worm and do a grind, and they wouldn't let me do it because they thought I was going to blow up. Oh, you probably yeah. would have. I probably would have blown up. <laughs> I literally got the call right before the performance. You hey, you die. can't do that, man. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No, but uh, it was a bunch of million different things yeah. that was rocking my system. The main thing, I think the main thing at least, um, and my aunt is a doctor and she told yeah. me it's probably this, is I had mono underlying yep. the entire time or like half the semester, the second half. But we didn't find out about it because it was very low-key low, low key, and it was just the only thing it was doing is making the other illnesses way Accentuate more. Them, yeah. yeah, it was doing making everything way worse. So I'd get a little head cold. All of a sudden, I'd be like dying in my bed for the night. Yeah. I'd go to bed at fucking 7 p.m. and wake up at 11 the next morning. Um, and that happens a million times over the semester. Yeah. I got an ear infection in both ears at some point. <laughs> yeah. And it was a fucking nightmare. But the point being there, I went from 145, uh, which I had gained over the summer, down to like 132 Ugh. in that time span. All of my process from the last two and a half years wiped wiped i mean i still looked more defined obviously because it was yeah. more muscle than it had been initially but i was fucking white yeah uh so i fucking bulked while we went home yeah and i gained back up to 138 or 140 or something like that nice but How tall are you? right now i'm 5'9 oh you're doing a bmi thing yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I got back oh, up to BMI one. My is, BMI is awful. No, I know. BMI is a bad <laughs> metric. Terrible. It's not yeah. a good metric. <laughs> it's a good metric for being underweight. Yeah. What does 19.5 mean? Okay. Oh, yeah. so you were all you were all No, right. I was good. I was okay then. Yeah. All right, barely over on the underweight category. <laughs> there we go. That's what yeah. I like to say. Um, but yeah, I felt destroyed. Oh my god, I was so fucking destroyed. Yeah. Um, but then I came back. Now I'm back up to like 141 or something like that, which is still saddening now that I say it because that, I'm down dude, 4 that's pounds. That's still an improvement. But it's definitely an improvement. Yeah. Was that you, Will? Yeah, when I started working out, I was six feet tall and 126 pounds. Okay. Yeah, 17.1 right. BMI plug, right there. Plug this in. Do, I will plug this in. Oh, Lord, here we go. Do 5'7". Okay, 5'7". And do 2.15. Was that when you finished your bulk? No, this was what I started out at. Oh, okay. For reference, the six-foot one was criminally underweight. Yeah, 17.5. Underweight's 18.5. I was, yes. Okay, yeah, you so were, when I started, you were past obesity. You were past obesity. When I started, I was at 33.7. The okay. obesity thing is over 30. And it's not like I was, I had, I had maybe like a little muscle. Like a little, because right. I would do some, ex- I would exercise, I'd played sports, so I had a little. Right. But not a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you compute that now, I'm still probably, I'm probably more like a 30. Right. But my, my muscle mass is so much higher. Right. So. Well, that's the issue with BMI, obviously, is it just. Yeah, 195. It just does not take into account muscle mass. So you'll see guys, yeah, 30.5. Yeah. Yeah. You'll yeah. see pro athletes, like Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Is They're all considered overweight. kind of a thin guy for the NFL. That dude is fucking obese on the BMI <laughs> <Yeah>. scale. <laughs> so, yeah. like. So, so if your doctor goes and tells you that your BMI is way too high, just tell him. Tell him to go t- fuck tell himself. Him he sucks. Get a new small. metric. All right? <laughs> Get um, a new metric. Yeah. I think, but I also think for me, a, a big part of the gym as well was like just appeal. And like you talked about appeal. Yeah. Like I want to stop being people's little brother. I think yeah. for me, it's like, honestly, like as, as kind of like, not like as low as this sounds, but as simple as it sounds, like, I don't know, I just wanted more girls to look at me. Like, no, honestly, no, that's so, hard. that's so like, fair. That's really what it was. And I think part of that is like this bigger goal. Cause I, I asked you like what you would, if you could snap for something, what would it be? And I think for me, it would probably be a family, like my own family. I think that's something that's one of my goals. One of my motivations. At age 19 is crazy. Though. Not, I mean like, <laughs> like we can wait at, at some, at some point. No, yeah. I and like, I think for me, that's something that like real like matters to me. And it's like, how can I, be my best self and then in turn have a group of people that I get to like share my life with. And I think that's something that I'm, I'm proud is one of, of my goals. Right. No, 100%. And going back to the big brother thing, um, like I was saying, my, John, my buddy, yeah. um, he was my big brother. He was everybody's best friends. And I wanted to be just like him. My main thing is that what I wanted when I was a senior to be somebody else's big brother. Yep. I didn't just want to be like him. I wanted to be, myself with his attributes that mm-hmm. type of thing so yeah he was jacked yeah he had ever had a lot going for him but the main thing i wanted was the respect he had from all of his peers and i think eventually i got that yeah. I, th- I, mean, I i don't know i thought it was pretty well liked in high school by the end of it yeah. but no i definitely had we're an hour and three minutes you can just tell me <laughs> it's fine um but yeah i i wanted not necessarily the physical appearance i wanted the mentality that he garnered from everybody Mm -hmm. else i think eventually i got there and obviously now it's worked out pretty well at college i'd say i've got some pretty good people around me here 
Yeah. Sure. Yeah, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah, okay. feed into your Fuck ego. Fuck you guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fuck you guys. Um, <laughs> no, but that's what yeah. it was for me. That's what it was for me. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, it's like, like, like it was. It was impossible for this this guy to go try and talk to girls and be confident in himself. And I think for me, like I still think like that sometimes. Like I'm like, oh, I can't go up to her. You know, I don't look a certain way. And I think for me, like that's kind of why I started to lift and like change myself because I wanted to be able to to talk to essentially whoever I wanted and feel like I belong in a conversation with them. At the end of the day, and it's corny as fuck. Um, it's all about that confidence. Uh, it's, it's all about the confidence. What the gym yeah. gave me, more importantly than amazing, I'm going to do it, amazing muscle genes, <laughs> is that uh, <laughs> is that now I have the confidence to walk into a room and know that everybody values what I have to say, even if I don't yeah. know them yet. Dean is saying all this at 5'9", just for <laughs> reference. Yeah, I'm 5'9". Timmy is 5'7". Uh, we are... I'm, I'm what, are you, five, what are you? I'm 5'8". All right, good. 5'8". At, at, at the time, five. I was five, I'm shorter than you. I'm shorter than you. Don't, not I'm, by much. Not by much. We're no. Well, and yeah, yeah. also, like, I, I got I got I got some muscle mass, so I think it makes me look a little bit. Tougher, no, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So I'm I'm glad I have. But that. it is all about how you carry yourself. Yeah. I didn't realize the importance of that. I didn't realize that John pulled not because he looked like that, but because he acted he, like yeah, well, that. Dude walked like around person. with a fucking schlong. Like oh the dude God. literally got the biggest dig energy on the planet, and that I think was is the main benefit I've gotten. Yeah. from working on myself. It's that I have the confidence to, like I said, go into any room and feel like my opinion's valued. I don't have any problems anymore with getting up on a stage and yeah. talking to people in front of a crowd or going up to anybody one-on-one. Um, with, yeah, yeah, smile at me, bitch. Uh, <laughs> what I, uh, and I completely used to have that problem. I would only talk to my immediate friends. I didn't really, I was scared of other kids. That all went away after I started going yeah. to the gym i didn't even need to see the results yet it was just the the, the, the thought mindset, process yeah. that yeah i do this yeah which i is, do this every day and this is what i do which is why that I think changes you we need to encourage that behavior right yep. i think encouraging self-betterment is so important to society and i think a lot of now is like oh well, we have to accept everyone and we have to accept you know despite what the everything that about them we have to accept all of it i, I think pushing through a little bit of you know, lack of social acceptance is healthy, right? Like I yeah, would, I, think so. I wouldn't, I, you, you and I wouldn't have gotten to where we were if we didn't have to push through that sort of disconnect between us and you know maybe other people that we wanted to be with or wanted to to interact with. This is like what Jackson and I were talking about in that yeah. last one with yeah, bullying. Yeah, yeah. We were saying we were jokingly saying, yeah. but not so jokingly at all, that bullying works because because it changed yeah. us. Well, because it's not necessarily bullying. It's just like this mindset of like, oh well, you know, oh you look a certain way, so you do this. Or even if it is bullying, it this. works yeah. in the sense that you pointed something out to me. And even if you meant you meant it in a mean, crude way to fuck with me, it's still a valid point. Yeah. People would make fun of how I looked all the time and to the point that I was very aware of it in, in a negative way. Don't yeah. get me wrong. It was yeah. not a good thing that I thought about how I looked all the time. Yeah. But what it did do is get me to say, shut the fuck up. Yeah, like, and stop, then like yeah, I please. went to the fucking gym and changed that. Obviously, it's not a good thing to let people push you around, but there are valid arguments that come out of it. Yeah, and I think it's it's like there's obviously a certain line, like which is what you have all been saying about you know bullying and and its importance. I think this sort of pressure of not not conformity, but you know, oh, you know, you're you're a little weird, mm. or you need to, you know, oh, he's he's a little smaller, he's a little fat, he's a little big, he's a little short, whatever. He's a little bitch. <laughs> Amen. Like, like it's 
there's some aspect of it that is that is healthy to encouraging people to better themselves. So I think there's there's certain value in that. Um, no, there is. Yeah. There is. But and I, I, I think it it almost goes away a little bit as you get older, though. Like I feel like in college, there's no there's no like there's obviously pressures to do other things, but there's a there is a greater acceptance of, of being yourself and being authentic, which I think is interesting. I mean, they say, and everybody said this at some point in their life. At some point, you realize why did you care what other people were saying about you to the point that, like, why did you think about it? And eventually you'll realize, they say, eventually you'll realize nobody was looking at, giving a fuck about you in the first place, that type of thing. So why did you cater them so much when you were younger? Yeah. In college, I don't think, obviously, I don't think we've reached that point yet because everybody still kind of cares about what's going on around them. Everybody yeah. kind of cares about what other people think about them. But... I don't think people are anywhere near as willing to go out of their way to make it your fucking problem. Yeah. There's no point. There's yeah. 9,000 people on this fucking campus. Yeah. There's no point in me going up to this one specific kid every day and telling him what's wrong with him. There's yeah. no point. There's no point. I mean, I do that to Will, <laughs> but, that, <laughs> I, yeah. but that's, no, that's it. That's fair. I think a lot of it just comes from maturity. Yeah. No, like yeah after 100%. leaving the high school, like, young childhood, like, you, you realize you just be an adult, like, also, you grow up. up this like, is, you grow up around these same people, or most yeah, people grow up around yeah, the same a, kids from K through twelve, at least nine through twelve, and then and they just get comfortable with that mindset. They get comfortable with the people around them. Um, that was definitely a thing at my high school. Everyone had their group that they stuck to, and that was how it was. Whatever. When you get here, and I kind of had an advantage because I did switch in ninth grade, so I had to go through that again. But when I switched here, uh, when everyone got here, th all of that was erased. All of that was erased. Yeah, you you had to make your new friends. Out. You had to, uh, and everybody at the beginning was very comfortable with talking to everybody. Because no, at, at the beginning, you're thinking to yourself, you're thinking, anybody here could be my best friend. Yeah. That's what everybody's thinking to themselves. Um, obviously, eventually, everyone kind of settles in. But... That mindset of, look how many people I don't recognize, I've never seen before, look how many of them there are. I mean, the world's my fucking oyster. Yeah. You know, it's very much that mindset. And it's, I, I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. That's what I can say. I, I much prefer it to the high school mindset because as nice as it was to have kind of a home base yeah. in high school, going back to the same people and it's easy to find them, you just hit them up, where are you? Boom, two minutes later, you're together. As nice as that was... I think it's much better to feel uncomfortable at certain times yeah. to feel like maybe you're a little bit alone. You know, you have your people that you'll always be able to go to, but I really do appreciate the whole idea of you have to extend yourself. Mm -hmm. This. Yeah. I mean, I much appreciate it. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes. Yes, we should. <laughs> oh yeah. But anyway, um, how much time do you got left? What do you think? We are at an hour and 10 minutes. Okay. And if someone is still listening right now, th thank you. Like and like subscribe. And I, don't I don't know. know like, works. subscribe. It's no way someone's system. been listening for a hundred. And, and give us a recommendation. Give us a rec. Yeah. Honestly, the most, I don't even know Smash how to Smash the share comments. Shit, uh, <laughs> no, uh, send actually, this to your family group chat. If you've <laughs> gotten this far and you text <laughs> Dean Kataboski, VIP. He will send you videos of him Latin <laughs> dancing as That's a, a five foot ride. nine white boy. <laughs> five just, foot, and they liked it. I don't know what to tell you, man. Put, <laughs> put something, put something funny in the comments, like something. Uh, I don't know. 
Just like bananas. We don't fucking have comments, bro. This is Spotify. <laughs> there's no comments? There's I don't no, think so. There's no YouTube? Oh, there is YouTube, but we post clips. Oh, we post nice. Clear. We, we post clips. little clips in there. Hopefully we'll have some good clips for this. That is, that's my main problem here is I need someone to help me with clips. As much as I enjoy editing clips and stuff and taking out different parts of the yeah. podcast, it is the most time-consuming part of my day. Yeah. It takes a good 30 minutes probably for a single video. Yeah. And then the posting it, you'd think the posting it's simple. You'd think it's just like a hit and you're done with it. No. you got to think of the caption, the title, and there's an algorithm you got to work with to figure yeah. out what the perfect title is for this. Um, you got to look at the news, figure out what's trending, figure out which, is, which clips are important to take out. And then you just got to listen to the whole video. There was, there was a part of, um, I think it was Jackson's video, actually. I texted him about this, where I was listening to it, and I was about to post it, and I listened, and I was like, oh, that needs to be taken out. Yeah. Like, we can't, not that we can't put it on the internet type thing, but that we don't want that to yeah. be something that people are taking away from this. Yeah, you know? well, and where it's also like, I, I thought you actually did a good job of making that little, like, Instagram clip for, for oh, that the, episode. the wet leg clip? Yeah, yeah well, funny. yeah, I thought, I thought it was, like, it was, it got to the point, it, it was right, so, uh, but yeah, I, I appreciate you having me here, this has been awesome. Absolutely. I, I know the I shift. I appreciate you coming. Thank you. I think the shift that we took from the transportation to the sense of identity was, was interesting, but hopefully logical, so. No, no, it made, it made actually, this was fantastic. I appreciate right. you coming in here today. Hey, shake my hand. Hey. Shake my hand. Hey, oh, you wanted me to say, uh, you made the Dean's List. Hey. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> get, the, get your camera facing. Come on. <laughs> All right. Bye, buddy. Thank you.